Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays. It's Text tu- text Tuesday. Text text Tuesday. Text-driven Tuesday. It's Text-driven Tuesday time, George. Off to a good start. This is, this is a Text-driven Tuesday, but it's almost like a free-for-all Friday. Yeah. Because this episode really is like a... You went back through a text you had already preached on the New Covenant from Hebrews chapter 8, and you were like, okay, I don't think like I don't think people really understand maybe why we're Baptists. Right. Like, why do we baptize believers only? Mm-hmm. We believe in covenant theology, but we are not paedo-baptists. So... You you said I think you know I think I'm going to preach a sermon that's it was it was a topic but it really wasn't topical you kind of worked back through the text mm-hmm. <clears throat> did do some theological things that you know you had to to make clarifications yeah and so this is almost like a, a baptism episode but I it's also that. a text driven yeah. Tuesday <laughs> episode so yeah it's like a dual purpose it's like a dual purpose episode yeah well you know when we um almost well about five years ago when we were uh doing some joint services before we merged back in 17 december of 17 um i did a sermon similar to this one Mm. why why are we baptist um but we've had a lot of people join Mm -hmm. since then from a variety of different backgrounds. And I, I think it's important for us to to know whether you're, like I said, I, I don't think that this sermon was going to convince, you know, any, uh, you know, Pato Baptist to suddenly say, oh, you're right, <laughs> I need to become a Baptist. Right. Um, but I think that it's important for all of us, whether Baptist or Presbyterian or, or Lutheran or whatever you are, to know why you are what you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, the sermon was on why I think just a straightforward reading of the New Covenant um, passage here should lead to Baptist theology. Mm-hmm. But really beyond that, it was the way in which we read and interpret the Bible has real-world implications. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just, and this this applies to everything. Not not just the new covenant passage, but as we're reading the scriptures, our theology ought to affect how we live, right? Um, and so that that was that was um, the the purpose behind the purpose, I guess. Yeah. Of this of this uh, this sermon. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's kind of what's here is at the heart of this is. You know, we uh, we see at the heart of the Bible what kind of is the structure, supporting main structure mm-hmm. of the main storyline as covenant. Right. And so there are six covenants, and you reminded every one of those. We we talked about that a little bit last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about that again. You brought up the seventh covenant. The seventh one is different because it's not really of God with man, mm-hmm. right? So seven, the right. six are God God with man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
if you're listening, you might be wondering, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13 is where we're going to be looking today, mm-hmm. going from there. So the covenants, they begin, it, we believe they begin in the garden. So you have Adam, Noah, Abraham, uh, Moses, King David, and then the big one, mm-hmm. the one with Jesus as the head the mediator, mm-hmm. um, the sacrifice. We'll go through all of that. So six covenants. Um, and you pull from here to talk about the co- the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And what it kind of boils down to really is how you view the new covenant in relationship to the old covenant. Mm-hmm. right? And we'll talk right. about that as we come through, as we move through the text. Okay. Um, and but how you do that and how you read the Bible and you interpret the covenants' relationships to e- to each other mm-hmm. kind of determines where you're going to land. Is if you're a Pado Baptist or if you're a what's called a Credo Baptist or yeah. a believe baptizing believers only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a, a my one of my favorite um, professors um, in seminary, uh, Stephen Wellam. He uh, he has said, and I think he's put it into writing that he believes that all of the major denominational differences really boils down to our understanding of the covenants, mm-hmm. and especially the new covenant. Yeah, the, the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant and how you interpret, especially this passage, is going to land you somewhere. Right. At, at least if you follow it to its you know, conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and this is this is kind of a, one of those good, Topics or things that you can look at and answer the question, kind of like why are there many, di- why are there different denominations? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. We said for those denominations who are Protestant, mm-hmm. right? The uh, the difference between us is very small, mm-hmm. usually, right? It will come down to something like baptism. Do we baptize uh, b- babies uh, as it, because they're covenant members, or do we baptize believers only? Um, do we have a presbytery, or do or is each church an independent and free congregation? Yeah. Um, so those and, differences are very minor. Yeah, I mean, in, the, they, in, in the overall scheme of things, yes. Right there. Yeah. They affect kind of some practical outworkings of things. Mm-hmm. They're they're significant enough that we don't worship in a local congregation together. Right. Um, it, it's a it's a big enough difference. We don't we don't want to we don't want to you know de-emphasize the fact that there's differences, right? Um, because someone's right, <laughs> right? I mean, right. It's, uh, it can't be it can't be credo baptism and pedo baptism. <clears throat> um, one of them is right, one of them's wrong, um, and even even within those there's uh, there's differences right um i mean even within credo baptism there's there's differences on how it should be done and why it should be done and and, and in pedo baptism i mean the the reason why the lutherans baptize babies is not the same as why presbyterians baptize babies i mean there's there's even differences right. within there um so we don't we don't want to we don't want to pretend like those differences aren't there because truth matters mm mm-hmm. Um, we we should be in pursuit of the of the truth, mm-hmm. and we should practice what we believe is most faithful to the Bible. Right. Um, but we don't want to overemphasize the differences either. Like I said, um, 
in the sermon. I, I probably have more Presbyterian authors on my bookshelf than than Baptist. Mm-hmm. At, at 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 least it's a it's very very close. Yeah. Um, so we we have a lot to. Uh, well, they got a head start on us because they did. <laughs> you know they they had the luxury of being able to to write while right. we were trying to not like get drowned. Yeah, that's right. By people. <laughs> that's so, right. Yeah, they were uh, they were welcome into uh, the universities while Baptists were you know they had to go into tar- hiding and tarted feathered and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Even in uh, even in America, I I think people forget that Baptists were uh, were often persecuted. Even right. in the the colonies, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So it's it's uh, it's a little difficult to uh, to write a lot when <laughs> when they're beating you and throwing you in the jail. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the uh, the differences. Well, I think here's a, this is a good thing to like to kind of talk about before we jump in there. Like the differences are important, and obviously we believe that we're right they believe they're right but you know yeah, what? i mean and, it, and i don't think we have to be i don't think we have to be embarrassed about that i don't i don't think it's arrogant to pursue the truth and to say all right we're trying to read the scriptures faithfully they're trying to read the scriptures faithfully we come to different understandings for whatever reason i mean there's there's all kinds of things that could be going on that that lead us a certain way i mean we all have presuppositions that maybe we're not even aware of we've got backgrounds that are different and and yeah. all, all kinds of things um but at the end of the day when we when if we're faithfully coming to the text and we're saying this is how i read it and this is this is this is the application to that i don't think that we have to be um embarrassed to say that i don't think as baptists we have to be like well right yeah, yeah. I, I think we're right. Well, there are two kinds of Baptists, right? Well, just like there are different kinds of right. Pre- like there is fun. There is a fundamentalist strain in most, uh, maybe probably denominations, right? There's those people that think they are the only ch- real church on mm-hmm. the earth. Yeah. But usually, I think in probably our circles, like I, there's there's no way I don't think like you could we could be accused of fundamentalism because we believe that there are that we aren't the only true church on the earth mm-hmm. right there are uh, presbyterian churches are real gospel preaching churches yeah. and we we would wholeheartedly affirm that i think the i think the historical way that that baptists have talked about presbyterian churches is that they're out of order i think yeah. that's i think that's the way that they mm-hmm. and i i think that that would be their opinion also i, I used to have conversations with uh, Orthodox Presbyterian um, pastor when they when they had an OPC church here in town and uh, he pressed me on these issues and I would just tell him what I believed and he was like good you're a real Baptist <laughs> right. like you should you should like if you're going to be if you're gonna you know be a Baptist be a Baptist if you're gonna be a Presbyterian be a, be a Presbyterian you don't have to um, we can still be friends even if we uh, we disagree I, I wholeheartedly say that um, conservative presbyterians right yeah, you gotta clarify <laughs> you know yeah it's it's sad we, i mean they have to do the same with baptist um the the presbyterians that affirm that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone and christ alone um apart from works i wholeheartedly embrace them as brothers and sisters yeah yeah good okay so now let's uh 
let's we'll jump into it. I'll have you read the passage, but first, you, what you what you did is you said, okay, we're going to look at two ways that we see in this passage in Hebrews six, Hebrews eight six through thirteen. Two ways we see that the new covenant leads us to a Baptist theology. Yeah, and I wanted to limit it to this passage. Mm-hmm. I think the the problem often in in our discussions and debates um, between you know, the different denominations as we get caught up on some of the important but kind of peripheral issues, mm-hmm. like baptism by immersion, believers, um, you know, church polity, all of those are good, but I, th- I think that if we, if we really want to get to the heart of it, we got to look at, at this passage. Okay. We have to look at this passage, and the other stuff flows out of that. So we want to make sure when we're when we're having these uh, these debates that we don't get hung up on the 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 I guess the implications of our theology. We want to get to the very heart of what is our where's our theology coming from. Okay, and I, I think that the New Covenant passage really is the the place to go. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay, so let's uh, let's have you read it, and then we'll we'll go ahead and jump in. Okay, uh, Hebrews chapter eight, verses six through thirteen. Uh, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord." For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more." And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay, so let's jump in here. The first one is the new covenant is not like the old covenant because it is new and better. I wrote that, and I I stepped back, and I was like, that's the most obvious statement that's ever been written. <laughs> <laughs> because it is new and better. Uh-huh. But really, this is at the heart of the debate. Right. is about the newness of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Is this a new covenant, or is this the same type of covenant, or the same covenant under a different administration? Right. And this can get... As I was writing this, I was thinking to myself... I don't know if I if I'm up to the challenge of of explaining this in a way that people can understand, um, because well, this really does get this does get into the the yeah. nitty gritty of of uh, it is the diff- differences. It's difficult, right? It because is because you've read a lot on this, and, mm-hmm. and so you have yeah. 
And it's taken you a while to build up the vocabulary mm-hmm. and understand the concepts, and now you get to try to explain it to people right. who've never read uh, about it. Right. So, and I'm, I feel your pain because I sent you a text. <laughs> I sent you a text yesterday, and I said, "Hey, at the upcoming conference, I'm going to preach on imminent Trinity." Uh-huh. Uh Here's what I think I'm going to do, mm-hmm. and you said something like. Um, I think I don't know if I'll get it. I might have questions. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about this. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it is a challenge, uh, and I think it's something. And I, we've got a uh, we've got several people in our our church that are are relatively new Christians. Yeah. And I'm always thinking about them when I'm I'm doing this. Right. When I'm when I'm trying to put together an outline, when I'm trying to figure out how to explain something, I'm thinking about them, and I'm thinking they're not gonna they're not gonna grasp some of this stuff. I've got to really define it. I mean, that's that's why I started um, the sermon with saying, "Well, let's let's define what a Baptist is. Like, what is it? We we got we we're we who have been raised in in the church. We're we're just so used to hearing these these terms that we often forget that." an outsider, they may not even know what we're talking about mm-hmm. when we say something as simple as I'm a Baptist. They may not know. Yeah. They may have no idea. And you, and you, I think pretty much just said someone who baptizes a believer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. uh, so there are a so lot, we have to, there's today, a lot of terms. In, in America, there are a lot of people that are Baptists, mm-hmm. um, but they would never take that title. So like yeah. John MacArthur is technically yeah, a yeah. Baptist, uh-huh. right. but his, the way his church is governed and they cooperate, mm-hmm. they would say we're not we're not Baptist. We're yeah. like an independent congregation. Mm-hmm. But if you go that. back, if you go back in time, <laughs> right. historically, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's Baptist. That's a Baptist. That's a Baptist church. Right. Yeah. Baptizes uh-huh. believers only. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So um, as I was thinking through this. I was, I was belaboring, <laughs> like, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to explain this? Because at some point, you just have to explain it in the terms that are available for you and, and hope that something sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first point, I was not so sure that people would get it, but, but hopefully they got more out of the second point. Hopefully it was right. helpful. The, the yeah. second point was because probably the, because more the helpful. because the first point you had to dip back into um, some some of the earlier confessions. Mm-hmm. So you you read from the Westminster Confession, which mm-hmm. is 1646, mm-hmm. and then you read from the Baptist con, uh, Confession of 1689. Mm-hmm. Now, what some people don't. I think realize and understand is there there were other Baptist confessions before this. Mm-hmm. This is the most popular. So you get, yeah. I think sixteen was it sixteen forty four. There was the another first, one. The first London. Um, mm-hmm. who, Nehemiah Cox is that he helped write that? Mm, no, who was it? Who uh, am I John of? Salisbury was probably the the primary author of the first the first one. Right. Uh, but they Nehemiah Cox may have that one. Have that one really. I think clarifies a lot of the differences. Mm-hmm. 1689, it's kind of there and it's just very succinctly stated. Right. Well, 1689, it's it's trying to show um, the unity that they have with uh, with the Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. Um, you can uh, you because can... the Westminster was an authorized mm-hmm. confession, right? right? By the uh, the, sen- the by yeah, the, the state, synod. yeah, uh-huh. right. Which was still. Uh, the ruling class was Church of England, and it's still yeah, it's, and it's uh, we we're still talking about you know a church state, mm-hmm. 
Um, so the government is really, they're involved in this. Yeah. There's, a, there's a big mixture. Um, and the Baptists are still being viewed as um, uh, this kind of anomaly. Right. And uh, as, especially since you've, you still have in the, the minds of many uh, the, the Anabaptists, Right. And the, the Baptists, they make a distinction between themselves and the Anabaptists because the Anabaptists often would go in wild directions. And they would, and they would even uh, attack governments. Yeah, yeah. Right? With, uh, with physical violence right, in some cases. Right. So the, at the, uh, the title page of the, the first London Baptist actually says those who are commonly but, but um, unjustly labeled Anabaptist. Right. They, they make a distinction between. Baptist and Anabaptist. Mm -hmm. um, so 1689, it's a, it is an attempt to show the unity between the Westminster, the, the Presbyterians, and the Baptists. And so there's a lot of similarities. Right. Um, you, you can Google uh, like a comparison chart between the two, and you can see, um, you can see the differences. All right, so explain uh, to the listener or the one watching, mm. this one article in particular that you read from, the difference between these two confessions, the Westminster and the Baptist, because it gets at the heart of how the covenants are interpreted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is, you can you can look up the Westminster in the 1689. It's chapter 7. Mm -hmm. it's, on, it's on God's covenant. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's the chapter. Um, so the the uh, the Westminster and the the Presbyterians they view um, there is a covenant of works with Adam. Mm -hmm. Then now explain that because remember people they, right. they don't know what that means. <laughs> right. Um, so covenant of works would be God gave to Adam um, a law, uh -huh. and if he obeys the law, he lives. One law. One law. Don't eat don't the tree. Eat, don't eat the tree. Yeah. Um, so. He, he, uh, he. If he obeys, then he inherits eternal life. Mm -hmm. If he disobeys, he inherits death. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a covenant of works. You do this or or don't do this, right? Um. So he breaks the covenant of works, and so God um, establishes a covenant of grace, um, beginning with Genesis three sixteen. Mm -hmm. Okay. For the Presbyterian, um, the covenant of grace is kind of this umbrella term for all of God's dealing with His people. So all of the all of the little covenants mm -hmm. are all part of the covenant of grace. Okay, and so they can say that the law given to Israel at Mount Sinai is an administration of the covenant of grace. Okay. Um, here is here's the covenant of grace, big, big idea. Um, here in this time, some of them, uh, some of the earlier ones talk about a dispensation. Mm -hmm. I always try to stay away from that word, uh, just because of modern modern uh, connotations. Right. Um, at this period of time, this is how God establishes the covenant of grace. Okay. It's through. The temple and the priest and the animal sacrifices and the the law, the Mosaic covenant. Mm -hmm. right. um, but going into the future, God is going to give um, the gospel, which it is different from the law. So they they still have a distinction between the law and the gospel. They're not they're not the same. 
but they're both still part of the covenant of grace. It's just a new administration. And that's what it says. This, uh, uh, this article in the Westminster, this covenant, the covenant of grace, which is just, um, it's another term for um, how God is graciously saving his people through the work of Christ. Yeah. So the covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So here's one covenant, but it's administered in two different ways. Okay. Um, so they would say that um, the new covenant is new in the fact that it's administered in a new way. Okay. But it's still part of the covenant of grace. And this, um, and so this that, is how this is kind of how you you can see, and at least in, in their interpretation, it makes sense that they would apply the covenant signed to children or yes. babies. Because yeah, there's a lot of continuity. Yeah, yeah the Old Testament covenant sign of certain circumcision mm-hmm. applied to babies, mm-hmm. and so in their theology, you apply baptism, the new covenant sign, to babies as well. Right. Um, Chil- are, children of believing parents. Yes. Let's say that. Yes. Um, uh, they're also trying to hold together the fact that there's only ever been one way of salvation. Mm-hmm. So the saints in the Old Testament were saved by faith in Christ, just like the saints in the New Testament. The saints in the Old Testament are not saved by keeping the law. Um, they're saved by looking to Christ. Okay. The saints in the New Testament, they're saved by looking to Christ. So they, they're, they're holding that together. Which I say, yes, amen. That's that's true. <clears throat> that might be confusing to people. Like they might say, like, well, how did they have faith in Christ? When, mm-hmm. Like, how, how do they do that? Well, we've talked a lot about types, the mm-hmm. types and shadows. Um, you know, the uh, going back, uh, you know, to the, the sermon last week where they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Mm-hmm. So the Old Testament saints, they are looking at the priest and the temple and the animal sacrifices, and they're. They are um, seeing Christ. They're they're seeing what is being signified. Okay. So these things are are um, they're a shadow. They're pointing forward to Jesus. And by faith, the saints of the Old Testament are looking to Christ mm-hmm. through those things. Okay. Is that is that yeah. clear? Is that clarify things? <laughs> I mean, again, we're talking about big. We're talking about big ideas. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and I would agree with that. God has given to the Old Testament saints uh, different pictures of the coming of Christ. And so they're looking by faith. They they recognize God has given this promise in Genesis 3.16. The seed of the woman is coming who's going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. They know that a Savior is coming. And so through these, through these different pictures that God gives, they're seeing pieces of it it's like a puzzle they're putting the pieces together and they're 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 seeing this pattern and they're looking by faith to the ultimate fulfillment which will come through the messiah mm-hmm. so they're like abraham mm-hmm. who's believe god right and it's counted to them as righteous right right yeah. so they're not saved by n- none of none of the old testament saints were saved by works mm-hmm. they all were saved by faith in christ now that's not to say that the majority are not pursuing it by works, as Paul will right, lay right. out clearly as he unpacks his theology and explanations as to why many in Israel are not saved. Right, right. Yeah, even in the Old Testament, you can see people that are just going through the, the outward rituals without 
the inward seeing the inward reality right right um so there so that's what that's what um you know the westminster is trying to do it's trying to hold this together and i would agree that that the saints in the old testament are saved um by faith in christ there's much in the westminster uh, chapter 7 that i would agree with um but there's a major difference. Okay. Right. Um, so whereas the Presbyterians see a um, overarching covenant of grace with all the other covenants kind of under it, mm-hmm. um, Baptists distinguish between the covenants. Right. So Presbyterians, they can say one covenant, two administrations. We would say two covenants. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's only one covenant of grace. Um, it is promised to Adam in Genesis 3.16. It is promised to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's promised to Israel. But the promise is not the reality. And that's, right. that's, where, that's where really we, we, can, we can kind of see the difference is right. that they're looking at the promise and they're saying that's the the reality is there in these covenants and Baptists have historically said, no, they, they, they look forward, they anticipate the reality, but until Christ actually comes, the reality is not there yet. Mm -hmm. So distinguishing between the promise and the fulfillment, that's, that's Baptist theology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, but that's not to say, though, that there isn't that these other covenants are not of grace, right? right? Because it's by a, uh, they're all by, they're all gracious because it, even by, the even the covenant that God makes with Adam is gracious because God enters into it. He he initiates it and he gives him everything. <laughs> right. What would you call that other than grace? <laughs> right. yeah. God has graced you with right everything mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. And then even in the uh, Abrahamic covenant, he is chosen by God. Uh-huh. What would you call that other than grace? Right. Mosaic, same thing. Chosen by God. They're his chosen people. And yeah, he, uh, and the giving the giving of the law mm-hmm. is gracious. Right. So we're it's, not saying uh, it, there's there is a there's a tendency in um for theologians to try to divide these covenants. This one's a covenant of works, this one's a covenant of grace, this one's a covenant of works, this one's a covenant of grace. And really it's a mixture. I mean, it's both it's both gracious, but there are obligations. Mm-hmm. Um in in all of these covenants there there are obligations. Um, that's why, um, uh, you know, the, the carcass is cut down the middle in the Abrahamic covenant Mm -hmm. and God walks through the pieces. He's taking upon himself the obligations of the covenant, um, with both the blessings and the curses. There's a reason why Christ dies. So, because, because he's taking upon himself the obligations of the covenant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in these these covenants, they are building one upon it, e- mm-hmm. each other, mm-hmm. and they contain these promises. And you got to that point where you're like, this makes a distinction because when the new covenant arise, arrives, mm-hmm. it is the fullness of what all of these others ha- only had in part in promise. Right. You made a good illustration about uh, the difference between a promise and the actual substance. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you would share that. 
yeah, um, I, I was just thinking, how am I going to explain this? <laughs> and so I was thinking, all right, it's it's like I promise my kids I'm going to take them to the zoo. Um, so I, I tell them on Friday, we're going to go to the zoo. The promise is not going to the zoo. The, the promise is just a promise. Mm -hmm. So the kids can believe the promise. They can get ready for the promise. They can anticipate the promise. I can urge them to get ready. Um, but until we actually get to the zoo, it's just a promise. Um, the reality is actually being at the zoo. And so the difference between the promise of the new covenant and the actual new covenant is promise and reality, promise and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. um, and we we need to keep those distinct distinct um because you don't want to you don't want to mix those and muddle those right up mm -hmm. um so really you you want to you want to take each of the covenants on their own terms and not try to fit them into this um this scheme that i don't think the bible puts forth right right uh-huh like each covenant stands on its own right take take it on its own terms um, and don't try to put it under this umbrella that um, it, I just don't think it's there. Mm -hmm. um, e even, um, uh, goodness, I, I, read so, I read so many Presbyterians um, trying to prepare for this just to, to see what they were saying about this. And they would say some of the, the same things that I'm saying. Um, they just kind of veer off and and take it in a different direction. Um, so even Calvin, Calvin was like, the prophet might have otherwise said only, I will renew the covenant, um, which through your fault has come to nothing. But he now expressly declares that it would be one unlike the former. Right. Um, Michael Which Horton, is what uh, is said here in Hebrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new covenant, not like the other one. Right. Michael Horton says, the point could not be clearer. The new covenant is not a renewal of the old covenant made at Sinai, but an entirely different covenant with an entirely different basis. But he still holds to you know, Presbyterian covenant theology. He still um, right. argues for um, bringing the children of believing parents into the covenant. Um, so I'm not... I. I don't know. I don't know how. So, I don't know what. I don't know exactly what they. Um, what they're doing right. there because um, it couldn't. It really couldn't be clearer here. Uh, I will make a new covenant. He he says that the the uh, the the ministry that Christ has obtained is more is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Um, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need or no occasion to look for a second. He, he says, um, I'll make a new covenant. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. Um, and I think, to, uh, I think to say that it's the same covenant of grace, but it's different in administrations, I just don't think that that's, that carries the weight that, that um, this passage seems to be emphasizing. Right. Um, One of the—so this is—what's also interesting about this is— he had said previously, a change in priesthood means yeah, a change in the law, a change in in the right. law. Yeah. So, and and verse thirteen, I didn't I didn't bring it out um, Sunday. We looked at it last week. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. What's becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. I mean, he 
he is very clear that there is a complete there's a complete difference between the old and the new they're not it's not just another administration they're so different that the old has become obsolete and it's fading away it's not he doesn't say the the administration of it has faded away he says that the covenant has faded away mm-hmm. right right yeah um so I, I think that we need to we need to the covenants act in the Baptist theology like a relay for God's promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? right. So they they hand one off to the other mm-hmm. and some of them will hold like the promise to Abraham right is carried into the Mosaic covenant obviously. Mm-hmm. And it becomes God's means as to how He gets to what He promised to Abraham. Right. So while we maintain that there is a distinction here, we have to see that there is some blend carried through by all these promises. There is there is continuity. We're not we're not suggesting a complete discontinuity. Right. Um, so that there's and this this also is there's kind of a spectrum, and that's going to that's going to kind of land you somewhere. Also, there's. There's going to be, you could have complete continuity. There's no difference. It's it's all the same. You kind of flatten out the entire storyline. Um, then you can see there's differences, but there's continuity. That's you know that's that's where the the Westminster is. There's there's more continuity than discontinuity, but there is discontinuity. There's different administrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you can get over to there's a complete there's right. a complete. Um, discontinuity, and that would be more the dispensational, classical, dispensational. classical dispensational, where they would even say that things like the Sermon on the Mount is for the nation of Israel, and they, not, yeah, not they were for the saved church. in a different way right. than we are, yeah. Um, and so there's, so there's, there's a spectrum of how much continuity, how much discontinuity, right. and um, so we don't, we don't want to say that there's complete discontinuity. The the covenants do build on each other, and there's the promise of the gospel in in these covenants. Um, but there is discontinuity and that the new covenant is not, it's not these other covenants. Right. It's, it is something new, um, and better. And, uh, I mean, the word, the word that's translated as new is, is found all over the new Testament and where it's used is new heavens, and new earth. Um, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. We're supposed to take off the, we're supposed to put off the old self and put on the new man. Yeah. Um, uh, God has taken believing Jews and Gentiles, and He's made them a new a new man. Um, it, it's all. We, there's we wouldn't say that those are different administrations. It's that it's the same, but it's it's just administered differently. It's a new kind. It's it's something that wasn't there before, and it's new now. Right, and we'll get into this as we move forward. Um, uh, the new covenant is all based in who is the head of this covenant, right? And yeah, who, it, and who it, fulfills the covenant obligations? Yeah, and completely. And Presbyterians, I, I was reading on this. Um, they'll they'll say that Jesus is the mediator of the old covenant. So the the law, the mosa- the Mosaic covenant, it's Jesus is the mediator. Mm. Um. And I th- I don't think that's right. I don't I don't think that's um I don't think we see that in the scriptures. I think that Moses is is seen as the mediator. Right. And and after him the priests are the ones who are standing. I mean, what is a mediator? It's the it's the go between, right? Right. 
Like that's what it is. And so if you put this, who, who in, are you go? Who's the go between in the old covenant? It's, so the, it's the priest, right? The, yeah, the old covenant is issued in the old uh, Caesarian vassal mm-hmm. treaty way, yeah. which is how you know, we've talked some about this. Yeah. So it would seem to me that Jesus is the Caesarian. Am I saying that correct? Mm-hmm. Like he is the king. Yeah. The mediator of it would be Moses. Moses right. The vassals would be. The chosen, the elect mm-hmm. Israelites, right? And then after Moses goes, the priests become the mediator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I. It, but so, in the new covenant, so in the new covenant, Jesus is the mediator, and he's the who king. is the priest, right? And the king, right? <laughs> and the uh, prophet, and so right. he's all of it. Um, but I, I, I've I've been thinking about this. I, I think that to say that Jesus is the mediator of the old covenant, um, it it really fails to to grasp what the author of Hebrews has been saying so far, in order for Jesus to be the mediator, he has to be incarnated. He has to be a man so that he can be the go-between. Mm-hmm. Um, in order for him to be our faithful high priest, he has to come in the flesh and he has to he has to live as a man. He has to he has to be made perfect through his suffering. Um, and only after that is he able to be the mediator. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I mean, I'm sure that that uh, you know, reform, you know, Presbyterians um, have they, thought through this stuff. I'm sure I they don't, wrote. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, they know. wrote on it. Somewhere, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how they how they deal with that. But um, just as I'm going through Hebrews, it it just seems like in order for him to mediate a covenant, the author is is saying he has to be made like his brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Moses is the mediator because he is a man. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they, um, what they say about that, but um, I, I, I think that there's, I don't, I don't think Jesus is the mediator of the old covenant. Okay. He's the mediator of the new covenant. So we established. So there's a, and there's a, that superiority. Right. Like he's a better He's he's a he has a better ministry because he he mediates a better covenant um, that's enacted on better promises. Um, I I think there's discontinuity between the old and the and the new. The mm. new is better; it's superior, right? Um, not just in the covenant, but in the mediator of the covenant. Yeah. So that gets into the second part of your first point, which is first off, it's it's a new covenant, right? Not just a new administration, mm. but that it's better. So quickly, yeah. how is it better? Because we need to get to the second point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we talked about this uh, last week a little bit. It deals with the real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the old covenant deals with the outward the outward um, you know, issues. Uh, you see that in chapter nine, verse ten. Um, the new covenant is not made with physical descendants; it's made with spiritual descendants. Um, so the old covenant, you're in it because you're an Israelite. You're descended from Abraham, and it's there's there's little outliers. There's there's people like Rahab and Ruth that come in, um, but it's it's primarily about the descendants of Abraham. Um, but the new covenant is dealing with spiritual offspring. Um, and then it's it's better because um, Jesus is not only the mediator, but he's the guarantor. So he guarantees that the promises will be fulfilled, something that Moses could not do. Um, Moses can be the mediator, but he can't actually secure the promises. Mm. Jesus can. Uh, and then it's unbreakable. The old right. covenant, it's it's broken by the people. The new covenant, is it's unbreakable, right. which has repercussions for the second Right. Point. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So okay, let's let's get ready to jump into this second point. Second point is this: all the promises of the new covenant 
apply to all of the covenant members. Mm -hmm. So all the promises that are here in the new covenant, they apply to every covenant member. Right. All right. So how would And I think really this is the this, this it, it, even if you didn't grasp the first part, I think this becomes pretty clear. So you okay, so in this passage, mm -hmm. what are the promises of the new covenant? Uh, I will write my laws on uh, into their minds and write them on their hearts. Okay. That's the first one. Um, I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is dealing with um, the presence of God and access to God. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it is um, it's like the reverse. It's it's like getting back to the garden. Right. Right. Um, God walks with Adam in the cool of the day. In Leviticus um, 26, God says, "I'll I will walk in your midst, and I will be your God, and you'll you'll be my people." It's it's going back, so it's the presence and the access to God. Um, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So the third one is they have knowledge of God. This okay. is relational. Um, it's not just intellectual. There's a relational aspect to it. Uh, and then uh, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So sins are actually forgiven. Okay. So now, these are the covenant promises, mm -hmm. which we believe everyone who is in the new covenant has these as like a possession. They, mm -hmm. they are their promises. They actually have them. Right. What's the difference then in like what we would believe and what... Uh, Presbyterian beliefs about the members of the new covenant. So um, Presbyterians would they would draw upon the Abrahamic covenant, okay, um, where uh, God says this covenant is with you and with your offspring. Uh -huh. um, they would uh, they carry that through the old covenant and uh, even into the, to the new, where there are. Um, there are several places where it says this promise is for you and, and your offspring. Um, and they, they say that the new covenant is for believers and their children. So they will call their children covenant children. But, the, okay, so in there you, you baptize children. Um, so you have a mixed company. Yes. In the new covenant, right? Like you would have, like in, you would have in the, in old, the mosaic covenant. Uh -huh. Yeah. So in the in the old covenant, you would have believers and unbelievers. Okay. Um, and in so the covenant. That, in the covenant. Right. Yes. So that, uh, so all all the all the Israelites were in the covenant by birth. Okay. You you just are you're just in it um, because God made it with the nation of Israel. Um, but you could have people that are faithful to the covenant and they, they believe, and you can have unfaithful covenant members. Right. Okay. Right. So let's move through these promises then. All right. Uh, one at a time. Okay. Uh, the first one about God writing his law on the heart. Mm -hmm. Explain that. Well, this is, uh, this is opposed to him writing it on stone tablets. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the old old covenant Moses brings down these stone tablets that God has written the law on he puts them in the ark of the covenant okay right and these don't have um an effect upon the people because it doesn't it right. doesn't it doesn't deal with them in uh the at at their root problem 
But in the new covenant, God's going to, he writes his laws on the hearts of his people and on their minds, which means that they, uh, and this is, this is paired in, uh, in Ezekiel with God giving the spirit to the people. Right. This is quoted from, is it Jeremiah 31? This is Jeremiah 31. It's paired with Ezekiel. Yeah. Um, so in Ezekiel 36, um, God also makes this promise and says, I'll give you a new heart. So that that's that's kind of the that's the kind of synonymous right. ideas writing his laws the same as him taking a uh, the heart of stone out and giving a heart of flesh, and he gives his spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is um, this is the effectual call, basically. Right. Um, this is God by the Spirit um, gives new birth to to sinners. And now they have the desire and the ability to come to Christ. And, this and is, they have the, the desire and ability to obey the law. And this passage in Ezekiel is what Jesus is quoting from, or a portion of it, in John 3, mm-hmm. yeah. when he's talking to uh, Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's referencing the work of the Spirit. Right. He says you can't even see the kingdom mm-hmm. unless one is born from above or born again. Right. So it, it all, it all is, is going together. Okay. The the idea of God giving a new heart, writing His law on the heart, giving the Spirit, it all is it all goes together, um, but it, it's dealing with um, the uh, the desire and the ability to actually obey God. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, obviously, we can see how in our belief we would say that doesn't apply to babies. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then next, the this next point you have the promise has to do with having the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the access to God, mm-hmm. um, the the Leviticus twenty six eleven and twelve, um, it's part of the old covenant formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Mm-hmm. So it is. So there is continuity, right? Um, and again, this is going back to. The, the garden, mm-hmm. but um, the people of Israel they rebel, they broke the covenant, and so God reverses the prom this promise. He says, "I'll be your people, you'll be my, or I'll be your God, you'll be my people." But then in Hosea chapter one verse nine, he reverses it and says, "You are not my people, and I am not your God." Mm. So the because the, they broke it, because they him. broke it, right? Um, it's you know it's what uh, he says in um, verse eight. He finds fault with them. Mm-hmm. Right? The problems with the people. Um, but here's the, um, here's the inability of the law to affect this in a, in a lasting way. Right. Um, so the, they go into exile. Yeah. They're, they're expelled from the garden. Um, it's only in Christ in the new covenant that this promise actually finds its ultimate fulfillment where he actually is our God and we are his people. We have access to God, which is found all throughout Hebrews. Um, we have the presence of God. Um, and in Revelation 21 and the new heavens and new earth, we'll actually see his face. Right. Yeah. And we uh, currently, and like if, if you are a new covenant member, we believe you're indwelt by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we see clearly in John 14 that Jesus makes this promise of this coming helper. The, uh, the Holy Spirit, and he also promises that anyone who loves him um, and keeps his word, he says that he and the Father will come to them, 
and make their home with him. Mm-hmm. So to be indwelt by the Spirit is to be forever in the presence and have access directly to God through, right. through the Spirit. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, which is something we don't think about that yeah, often, I think. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll just let them keep piling up. All right. We'll no, knowing knowledge up. of God is the mm-hmm. is the third one. They will all know God. Right. Every member of the new covenant will know God. <laughs> right. Okay. This is, and it could, it really couldn't be any more explicit here. You you won't have to teach your neighbor or your brother saying know the Lord because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, why would you have to say that in the Old Covenant to your neighbor? Know the Lord. Uh, right, because you had that mixed congregation. Mm-hmm. You, had the, you had the believer and the unbeliever in the Old Covenant. Um, so the, the idea of knowing God, it's, again, it's not this intellectual um, knowledge. It's relational. Uh, we talked about this last week. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. Um, it's, it's relational. Mm-hmm. Um, to know uh, God... Uh, he says in uh, Genesis 18, um, talking about Abraham, he says, um, shall I keep these things from Abraham, seeing that I have, I think the ESV says chosen him, mm-hmm. but the word is the Hebrew yada, seeing that I have known him. There's a relationship there. Um, in Amos, I think it's Amos chapter 4, maybe. Um, God says, out of all the nations, I have known you. Talking out of all it, the nations of the whole earth. Of the whole earth, I've, I've known, known you. you. Yeah. Um, speaking about Israel, yeah. are we to assume that God doesn't know <laughs> that there's a, a Babylonian nation or that there's an Egyptian nation? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a relational, relational ap- aspect of knowing. So... The, uh, in the Old Covenant, you could have Israelites who are in the covenant who don't know God. We see that in, uh, in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, Joshua and, and uh, his generation die, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we see how they live um, with that. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, you've got Eli's two sons who are priests, Hophni and Phinehas. They are actually ministering in the tabernacle, um, doing what priests are supposed to do, except they are worthless men who do not know the Lord. Right. Right. But they probably know a lot of theology. Uh, they, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they. I mean, I'm sure they, they know the law. Been raised to know the law, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't know the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a point um, in First Samuel chapter three when Samuel is still young. And he doesn't know the Lord yet um, because he hasn't been converted. Right. He hasn't been converted. Um, but the promise of the new covenant is that everyone's going to know the Lord. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're all going to be converted. Right. They're, they're all going to have that relational understanding right. of who God is. So mm-hmm. in the old covenant, you could have a Saul or you could have a David. You could have... Um, uh, an Ahab or an Elijah, you could have people that are in the covenant, but they're not, they're not God's people because of their sin, their wickedness, their yeah. rebellion. Mm. Um, but in the new covenant, um, everyone knows the Lord. 
you won't have to you won't have to tell somebody who is in the in the new covenant know the Lord because they'll all know me. That's that's the promise. Right. Right. Yeah. So the the promise is not that this is probably confusing to some because they'll say, look, in your church you have you've got believers and non-believers too. Mm-hmm. And we would say, not sure, I can grant that to you, yeah. but that is the case. But the people that are in the new covenant mm-hmm. are all believers. Right. Right. And so what we do is on the front end, we try to, to the best of our ability, to only pe- have people come into the church and baptize those people who we could see that there is some type of evidence that they actually do know the Lord, yeah. and and a child can't give that. Right. Yeah, we can concede that in in uh, and and both uh, the Westminster and the 1689 both have statements on this that even in the in the purest church there is going to be there's going to be sin there's going to be uh, a mixture, mm-hmm. um, and we'll concede that. Um, I I hope that every member of our church is actually a believer. Uh, I mean, we don't know their hearts, so we can't we can't inspect them, uh, you know, with infallibility. Right. But the difference is, we don't knowingly um, baptize people that have yet to be converted. Right. Um. So yes, there there may be unbelievers in our church membership. But just because you're a member of a church doesn't mean that you are in the new covenant, right? Because everyone in the new covenant knows the Lord, mm-hmm. and so there is a, a distinction between the church role and the membership in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is picked up in the New Testament. So Isaiah fifty four thirteen, um, Isaiah says, "All your children shall be taught by the Lord." And I, I found it really interesting the language of children being used in Isaiah fifty four thirteen. Uh, but Jesus picks up on it in uh, in John chapter six, uh, verse forty five, and he gives his um, he gives his interpretation of the passage. Right, right? and this and this really kind of when I was working preaching line by line expositionally through John, uh, when I got to this portion, I was like, um, "This is this couldn't be more clear." Yeah, <laughs> it um, would seem that way, right? That fits in with the effectual call. Yeah. Um, it says, it is written in the prophets, this is Jesus talking, it's mm-hmm. written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. That's Isaiah 54, 13. And then Jesus says, um, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's yeah. Jesus' interpretation of, right. of that passage. Which me- meaning, right, in the context, there's a people that have been given to Jesus by the Father, mm-hmm. right? And as we go elsewhere in John, we see that he lays his life down for those people who he yeah. calls the sheep. Uh-huh. But then here, what you just read, what he says, he kind of gives the mechanism for how they come out of the world and they come to him. And it comes by the calling that comes from the Father. Mm-hmm. The Father gives a calling. Jesus equates that to them being taught directly by God. Yep. And if they are, they do come, they to, come him. to him. And if they do come to him, he raises them up on the last day. Right. So there's no mess ups, right? There's not a people that are called right. that aren't in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all in it. Yeah, there's not a subcategory. Right. <laughs> there's there's not there's not people in the covenant that this doesn't apply to them. Mm-hmm. Talk about frustrating, Calvin. <laughs> 
I had I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of uh, quotes that I I just wasn't able to use in the in the sermon because I didn't I didn't want the sermon to just be you know polemic against right. uh, against Presbyterians that wasn't that wasn't the primary point. Uh, but listen to Calvin. This is in his commentary on Hebrews chapter eight, verse eleven. They shall <laughs> they shall all know me. Um, just a couple of of sentences. He says, "Thus, God is rightly known by those alone to whom He has been pleased by a special favor to reveal Himself." That's exactly what Jesus says, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he also says, "It ought also, in passing, to be noticed that this light of sacred knowledge is promised peculiarly to the church. Hence, this passage belongs to none but to the household of faith." Now, he's going to expand household of faith to include believers and their children. Mm. But um, I think he's right. <laughs> I think he's right that this this promise is to the church. It applies to the household of faith. Um, those that are actually believers have this applied to them. Right. That's why they're believers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, should we do the last point? Yeah. Uh, the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, sins are actually forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all these, they're, they're, you didn't pull these out of thin this, air. This, this all is, is the, right there in Hebrews. This, verse 12, is the basis for the others. Mm-hmm. So their sins are forgiven, so they, uh, they know God. Mm-hmm. They have presence and access to God. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, this, again, this should have been a radical idea because in the Old Covenant you have sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that the author of Hebrews says this is a, a yearly reminder of, of sin. But here in the New Covenant, the, their sins are actually forgiven. Mm. Um, not, not a hypothetical. They actually have their sins forgiven. And this is the covenant. This is the covenant. This right. is not, this is not um, well, you can be in the covenant, but only have some of them um, applied to you. All of these, all of these promises are the covenant. That's what verse 10 says. This is the covenant that I will make. And then he lists all of these promises. And the last one is that their sins are actually forgiven. Mm. Um, and this is what makes the, the new covenant unbreakable. Mm-hmm. The old covenant, the people broke it through their sin. Um, but in the new covenant, it's unbreakable because their sins are actually forgiven. Right. And the means that you would need to persevere in the covenant is given to you. Are given to you. That takes you back to the first one, mm-hmm. the law written on the heart and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the promises of the new covenant, it's, there's not a subcategory. There's, there's not people in the covenant that um, don't have these promises applied to them. Every single member of the new covenant, I, I, I just don't, I don't see any any other way of interpreting this passage. Mm-hmm. Every member of the new covenant has every one of these promises actually given to them. So mm-hmm. every member of the new covenant um, has God's law written on their heart. They have the presence and access to God. They know God in a relational sense. They've had their sins forgiven. Um, this is what it means to be a, a covenant member. And so this doesn't, this would yeah. not apply to infants. Right. So we, for us, then we would say, okay, we're only going to baptize people that have a profession and that we could see are, are believers, uh-huh. to the best of our ability, obviously. Right. I think Presbyterian would say, well, based off God's promise to us, and that gets into how maybe we would 
interpret some other verses differently, which mm-hmm. we can't go into today. They would say, okay, like we don't know, uh, we don't know that all of these promises that you list here in Hebrews are actually going to mm-hmm. apply to our children, but we're believing by faith, right? Right, mm-hmm. that God has uh, God's promises that He will bring them one day to have them. Right. Right. That's kind of, I think, how they would right. describe right. it. I, I right. was at a, a Sinclair Ferguson uh, when he preached in South Carolina. I was going to that church when I was out there in the, in the Army for just a short little period, and I, that's kind of how he mm. described it. He said, no, we don't believe that this baby is saved, is a Christian, uh-huh. and this, this baptism doesn't save them, but we believe that God has promised you know, that as we raise this child, mm-hmm. that God will bring them mm-hmm. to himself yeah. at salvation. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was thinking through it. I wanted to make, you know, some, some application for people because it's, it's a common criticism by Presbyterians that Baptists just view their kids as, you know, just absolute heathens. Right. Right. Um, well, in one sense, yes. Like, you know, Vodibach, I mean, he's, calls them vipers and diapers right? uh, he's got a great quote uh you know it's it's good that god makes children so tiny like babies so tiny and and helpless because they're not able to murder you <laughs> because i mean babies they yeah. they have like rage yeah they do <laughs> Uh, so it's good that they people, can't. They people, can't actually. They can't actually physically assault you. People won't believe you, though, George. That's true. Unless uh, they've had a baby, uh-huh, yeah. they won't believe that. Right. Yeah. Um. So I was trying to think. Okay. How how best to talk about this? Um. And I, because we don't. We don't. I. I don't think the criticism is is correct from from Presbyterians, but I also don't think that maybe we're we think about it correctly. Okay. So our children are in a privileged position. Um, they are blessed. God has sovereignly placed them in Christian homes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's given them Christian parents. And if we're faithful as, as Christian parents, we are teaching them the scriptures. We are bringing them to church. We are instructing them. We are correcting them and pointing them to Christ. Um, they are... Um, they are in the congregation and they're surrounded by believers and so they have that uh, there is that influence um, they go to Sunday school where there's you know there's godly godly men and women that are pouring their lives into these kids they have people praying for them they're hearing the gospel over and over and over again um, that's something that children of unbelievers don't have so they they do they are privileged they are blessed, and that's not accidental. God has sovereignly done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can, I think, have hope and encouragement that because God has sovereignly done this, that he will also sovereignly bring them to repentance and faith in Christ. Yeah, And we see that. We've, we've seen children um, come to faith in Christ. We, we've seen... We've seen, you know, there's, there's uh, many families that have seen their, their children come to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. But... I don't think because of that, because they are in a privileged position, that it's right for us to say they're covenant members until they actually are in the covenant. Mm. So again, there's a there's a distinction between saying they are in a privileged position. Right. Um, my, my my kids have uh, 
to parents that are believers. That should have an impact on their lives. That that should have some kind of effect on their minds and their hearts. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're in the new covenant until they have the promises of the new covenant applied to them. So just because my kids are um, you know, in a privileged position doesn't mean that they know God in a relational sense or, or that they have the law written on their heart or that their sins are forgiven or that they have the Holy Spirit. Until those things actually happen, which are the, those are the terms of the new covenant, I, I, think, it's, I think it's wrong. I think it's, I think it's unfair um, for them to think that they are covenant members. They, yeah. they need to know that until they actually personally trust in Christ, that they are outside the covenant. And so they right. need to be urged, don't you want this to, don't you want this? Yeah. Like, isn't, uh, aren't these promises um, amazing? Don't, don't you want that in your own life? Don't you want to experience these things yourself? Um, uh, and use that to urge them to, to repent and trust in Christ. Right. Yeah, and this, this gets, I think, you know, I like how, how you worded that the application of these promises. Because there was once a time in all of our lives, right, where we affirm wholeheartedly election. Mm. That we have been, if you are a Christian, you have been chosen and elected by God in unconditional love before the world ever existed. But while you were alive, however many years you were alive on the earth, you know, let's say you're converted at 30, mm -hmm. uh, none of these promises apply to you yet. Right. But you are elected, and they will eventually. But, but what are you before that? That's the question. How does Paul describe you right. before the Holy Spirit applied the work of Christ to your mm -hmm. life and these promises became a reality? Yeah. What does he use? He yeah, uses it's, the word it's, in Ephesians 2. Yeah. You were... Your, your children of children wrath. Children of wrath. Right. Yeah. I wonder, though, George, like, I don't... I, I mean, I don't know how they would refer to their children. Mm -hmm. I've heard them call them children of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Would they refer to them as children of wrath? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and again, I, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to um, make straw man arguments against Presbyterians. Oh, I'm not, I mean, and I'm not know, trying that, to. I'm just curious. You know, it, yeah, um, it, it just from as an outsider. So we, I mean, I can only speak, um, you know, to Presbyterianism as an as an outsider, but. Um, I'm a, I'm afraid, and I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I'm afraid that the that the the emphasis on um, actually being born again might might be flattened a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, no, I don't. I, you know, I don't. I don't want to offend. You know, any if there's any Presbyterians that are listening, um, but I, I would at least warn against that danger of calling your children covenant covenant members. Um, when this is what the new covenant says, and um, forgetting, they have to be born again um, for these promises to actually be applied to their lives. And I, you know, I, I'm sure that they they're aware of those dangers. Right. Uh, there's an individual aspect to the new covenant. So the the old covenant it was made with the nation of Israel, um, but there's a, there in the new covenant there's it's made with a church, but there's an individual aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that individual aspect is seen in Jeremiah 31. I think the New Covenant passage actually begins a few verses before the ESV 
right. has the heading yes. the covenant. Right. Um, and I think that that we need to remember that there's this individual aspect to it. Uh-huh. Um, so Jeremiah chapter 31, um, I think that the, um, I think the new covenant passage actually begins in verse 27. Okay. Um, usually we talk about the new covenant passage in Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, but I think that it begins at verse 27. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into the new, the new covenant. Behold, right. the days are coming. Um, I think there's an individual aspect there. So there was this, um, there was this proverb apparently that was going around: the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So they they were saying that look, we're suffering for the sins of our fathers, right? And um, Ezekiel deals with it in a, a slightly different way, but Jeremiah which, Jeremiah here says, which if you're carried off into captivity, right? Because there's a corporate there's a corporate right. nature to the old covenant. Um, we see this in um, uh, Joshua. Uh, Joshua chapter five, I think. Um, Achan, uh, yeah. after the fall of of Jericho, Achan takes stuff that uh, was supposed to be devoted to the Lord, mm-hmm. and uh, they find out about it, and him and his family are stoned to death. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> what did his you know what did his family do? What did his children do? Um, well, the father ate sour grapes, <laughs> and the t- children's teeth were set on edge. Uh, we see this with the covenantal nature of the king. So David sins by taking um, uh, a census, and God sends a plague upon Jerusalem. So people are dying that had nothing to do with David's sin, but because of the the corporate nature of the covenant, the the leader sins and the people suffer. Mm. Right? Uh, but not so in the new covenant is what he's saying. Everyone will die for his own sins. So um, there's an individual nature. You have to individually come into the new covenant. Mm. Um, you're, you are not experiencing um, the blessings of the covenant because of your parents, nor are you experiencing the, the curses because of your parents. Each person has to make that, that own personal decision. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, Herman Bovink, Reformed theologian. Mm-hmm. I really like Bovink. Have you read a lot of Bovink? Uh, I need to read more. He's just the way that he expresses himself is is really good. But uh, he wholeheartedly defends the idea of, of covenant children. Um, but he says this, which is really funny. He says, in the covenant of grace, that is in the gospel, which is the proclamation of the covenant of grace, there are actually no demands and no conditions for God supplies what he demands. Christ has accomplished everything. And though he did not accomplish rebirth, faith, and repentance in our place, he did acquire them for us, and the Holy Spirit therefore applies them. So Christ didn't, it's not Christ's faith that saves us. Right. We, we have to have faith, right? But Christ has secured that. Mm-hmm. 
He goes on to say, um, still, in its administration by Christ, the covenant of grace does assume this demanding conditional form. The purpose is to acknowledge humans in their capacity as rational and moral beings. Still, though they are fallen, to treat them as having been created in God's image, and also on this supremely important level where it concerns their eternal will and eternal woe, to hold them responsible and inexcusable. And here I underlined this. I, I thought it was really, I, I just stopped when I read this. And to cause them to enter consciously and freely into this covenant and to break their covenant with sin. Right. <laughs> and I say, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, Bavink, you are one step away from becoming a Baptist <laughs> <laughs> because we agree. Um, in order to enter this covenant, you do it consciously. Right. You do it consciously. Um, you're not, you're not you know, baptized into the covenant as a child because your parents... Um, our believers, you have to consciously um, enter into this covenant. And so I, yeah. I think as as uh, parents, we need to constantly be urging our children to um, enter into this covenant of grace. All right. That was good. Thanks, George. Very good. Uh, next week, we'll be back in Ecclesiastes. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So had a little break yeah. there. So I'm going to stick probably now to rotations of four. Okay. Four, four, four. So very nice. I'll have three sets of four coming. Okay. All right. Yeah. So looking forward to getting back into that. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. Be good. So yeah. there it is, the outro. Thanks, George. Good stuff in Hebrews. Uh really ha- feel like I'm I know the book better. Uh, than I did before, and that's good. I'm looking forward to seeing how you work through the rest of it. Hopefully, you are too. And if I, this, I am too, Jay. <laughs> uh, you know it better too now. Um, I'm looking or forward to have, how I. Uh, you're looking forward to how we work how it. you handle it. Well, if it's a bit, if this is beneficial to you, please like, subscribe, and share this with your friends. You can write us a review, help other people find us. As always, our hope is to help you to become more conformed to Christ. See you next time.